Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech, executive producer here at the IQ. And I'm going to start this particular podcast off with a quote. Being above average is a choice. This is a quote from the new book that my man Roberto Blake just put out. The book is called Create Something Awesome. How creators are profiting from their passions and the creator economy. And Roberto is today's guest on the podcast, so he will be here in a few moments. But I just want to touch on the quote for a moment here in the intro. Being above average is a choice. So a lot of you all who come into our live chains or maybe even listening to this podcast, you are you ask the question, do I need the top tier gear to start a channel? Do I need the best laptop, PC? Do I need the best camera? Do I need the best microphone, this, that, and the other? Do I need all that stuff to start a podcast? So you are already limiting your capability because you feel like you need the best gear to start a YouTube channel. And we all know that you don't. The first seven months of my YouTube career, I did everything on my iPad Pro. I filmed the content on my iPad Pro with the camera. I recorded the audio with my iPad microphone. I uploaded everything with the iPad. I literally ran my entire YouTube channel off my iPad Pro. Our boy, my colleague, L Half a Review, I didn't got to, what, 20,000 subscribers using his Samsung Galaxy smartphone before he ever got an actual camera. As Roberto will talk about later on in this podcast, Mr. Beef, Mr. 100 million subscribers himself, got to his first 100,000 with a broken iPhone. So why am I talking about being above average as a choice? Because me, Mr. Beef, El Jefe, and a lot of other creators, we did not let the limitations of what we had or perceived did not have stop us from starting our content creator journey. We took what we had and we put ourselves out there and we made the best of what we had at that particular time. We chose to be above average because a lot of people would hinder themselves. They would stop themselves before they would even start because they feel like they don't have the top tier gear and they will paralyze themselves. I think it's called analysis paralysis or something like that, but they will paralyze themselves from even beginning the journey because they didn't have what they perceived to be the best gear. But it all comes down to choice. You can choose to watch all the rest of our creators you what we have to start and you do nothing or you can choose to pull out whatever you have on you at this current time and get out there and make content. You can choose to be content in your current situation, your current job, or if you're unhappy in your current job, you can make a choice to learn the skills that are needed and maneuver and put yourself in a better situation so maybe you can get a new job or maybe even start your own business if that's something that you want to do. But it all comes down to choice. A quote that I've come up with in the past couple of years or so is that the difference between success and failure is choice. What choice will you make? Will you choose to succeed, whatever that means to you, or will you choose to do nothing and fail because you are content or you won't do what needs to be done to better your situation? Are you going to waste time on the internet hating and making fun of and ridiculing successful people who will never probably even know you're breathing air because they're too busy being successful? Or will you take that same energy and apply it to your own life situation and take the time 
and do what you need to do to improve your own quality of life. That is what I'm talking about when the quote says being above average is a choice. What choices are you making out there? What will you do after you listen to this podcast today? Will you choose to maintain your regular avenue of activity or will you take something that was said in this particular podcast and let it provide you some motivation and maybe you'll find a discipline to go about bettering your life? That is why I'm here. That is why I work for VidIQ because VidIQ gives me the platform to hopefully motivate you people to go out there and better your life. Everybody can't be a content creator. Everybody doesn't want to be content creators and that's fine. But if you are even thinking about becoming a content creator, I want to motivate you and give you what you need to go out there and begin that journey. And I know that I have been responsible for people starting their creator journey. They have told me so. They have said, Viper, you are the reason that I started my YouTube channel. So I want to channel that energy to everybody listening to this podcast who may be thinking about becoming a creator or maybe thinking about uh, changing their own quality of life. Even if you don't want to be a creator, I want to motivate you to go about doing the things that you need to do to change your quality of life. Make your life better. Make your situation better. Don't waste time envying and being jealous and hating on more successful people. Fall back, take that energy, and apply it to your own situation. And I promise you, you will reap some serious, serious rewards. With that out of the way, let me bring in my man, Roberto Blake, and let's roll to the podcast. Welcome back to Tube Talk presented by VidIQ. And this week's guest is no stranger to the podcast. He was on here not too long ago, but let me introduce back a creator, creator, entrepreneur, podcaster, streamer, just all around emperor of the creation game, Mr. Roberto Blake is back. What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good. I brought my own cheering section. <laughs> he brought the sound effects. Like, what's up, man? Hey, man, I appreciate you making the time as always. So thank you. Of course, always for you, my friend. Always for you. So I brought you on here because I know you just brought out a new book or you just wrote a book and it's out there to the masses now. And we will definitely get into the book throughout the podcast. But Roberto, tonight, I want to start off with YouTube Shorts. Okay. So YouTube just came out and made a recent change to the way that shorts work and interconnect with long form videos. So in the past, if someone watched one of your YouTube Shorts, they were not recommended your longer videos if you were of a channel that intermingled both shorts and long. Yes. But now YouTube earlier this week or last week made the announcement that they have created a bridge or they are in the beginning stages of creating a bridge to where if somebody does now watch one of your YouTube shorts, it will now recommend longer form videos that you have done. Talk to us about what you, uh, how do you feel like this change will impact creators? This is one of the situations where there's good news and there's bad news. <laughs> <laughs> so the good news is that for creators, they could see an increase in viewership to their long form content, depending on how they approach shorts, specifically one, the recommendation algorithm changes, but also the fact that now you can create shorts directly in app from your long form content with the new create button, not the clip button, but the create button. And then you can turn a video into a short as well. And it'll also link back to that exact video that it originally was sourced from. Now, this sounds like, oh, this will be amazing and this will be great. But there could be issues and problems with retention and those things because I do not really believe that 
shorts consumers are the consumers, the same consumers as the long form content consumers. You and I both know that people who consume medium and long form content also aren't necessarily the same thing as the viewers who will watch a long live stream. Someone who watches a YouTube channel may not watch that creator's podcast. These are different intentions for the audience. As it stands, you and I both know that even on a main channel, when you make a video, just because people subscribe to you and they watch a video, does not mean they'll watch every other video you make and every other topic you make. So right. I think assuming that people who watch vertical short form content and enjoy it want to watch the long form content, like, it's a huge leap of assumption. And it'll be a very, in my opinion, in some niches, it'll be a small subsection of those people. In other niches, it might translate better, maybe comedians, maybe people like that. But I, I just really feel that this is well-intentioned. I don't blame YouTube for doing this. This has some really interesting implications. There will be creators who benefit from it. And this is part of trying to get creators to say, hey, don't go make more channels, do it all here. There are some creators who that will work for. I think that that might not even be the majority of creators. I think that shorts audiences are shorts audiences. And there's a reason that creators of the past, if they wanted to make a channel about a different topic, they made a channel about a different topic and they did better because of it. They also had more channels to split up things like brand deals across and could expand their revenue streams. And so it actually makes sense. I think that this idea of being in opposition to having multiple YouTube channels, I don't think it entirely respects the viewer and their intention to say, I want what I want. And if I want this, I'll participate. And if I don't, I'll don't. Because again, as creators, we don't like seeing some content getting a bunch of views and some content not getting a bunch of views. We don't like seeing inconsistency. And viewers don't want, like when I watch shorts videos from people, Viper, to be honest, I don't want, even if YouTube recommends it to me, I don't necessarily want to watch their long form content. I watch them for their shorts. Yeah, like you, uh, like you said previously, you're talking about two different audiences when you're talking about people that watch short form content versus people that watch long form content. Now, I've heard you say before that even though now YouTube has this bridge up, that it's not intended for everybody to go and try to do short on their regular channel if they're doing long form content. And I think a lot of it is what you alluded to beforehand about the audience being different and the content and the niche might not be the best for trying to intermingle long form and short form content. Also, those viewers may not mingle well as a community in your comment section, to be frank. I mean, sure. you may have noticed there's a big tonal difference in the comments you read, even on the same type of person in shorts content versus long form content, because the context changes in terms of the impression. Some people, they grow on you in long form. I can do shorts, but I can't just clip something from one of my long videos and make it a YouTube short. I can do it for the highlights channel where it's like two or three minutes and it makes sense. But in 30 seconds, it may not be enough for someone to get used to my personality. It may be a turnoff and they may take me the wrong way. If I didn't make that 30 seconds specifically exactly the right way that it needs to be, meaning for me, I have to make exclusive shorts videos. I can't just take something from a longer video and turn it into a short. I have to make shorts videos. And there's a lot of effort in that because I have to do it so that a shorts viewer that I'm matching their energy and that's something that they would like from me versus how the audience responds to me in long form and in podcast and live streams because it's a different experience. You have more time to get used to me. So this is also, again, it's a difference in the audience of the type of people that you don't win over that drop off in the first 30 seconds of your main videos. You have to reckon that, okay, that's the audience that short form hits. Also, I don't like the fact that like, look, when people watch shorts, 
They're not clicking on anything. They're swiping. So they didn't even choose what came in front of them. Putting that in their recommendations algorithm doesn't necessarily seem fair. Yeah. So this brings me to something that's been a hot button topic lately on Twitter and the internet as a whole, I believe. Let's talk about audiences real quick. So throughout the first few minutes of the podcast, you've alluded to the different audiences between people who watch long form and people who watch short form. Now, over on TikTok, which is primarily a short form platform, even though we know that they've now extended out to 10 minute videos, there are TikTokers that have over 100 million followers over there, millions of followers, hundreds of thousands of followers. So, and they somehow, yet they can't manage to get them over to YouTube at all. Okay, so more about that. So, there are TikTokers who are very successful in building followings over there, but there have been talk on Twitter about how it is harder for creators to build community with short form content. But it's a lot easier to, for creators that do longer form content to build communities that rock with them, that have that strong bond with them. Where do you feel like the limitation is with creators that do short form and their inability or perceived inability to build a strong community? Because again, TikTok has these creators with a large following, but where, where are we at here? With depth versus width, my friend. Depth versus width. Depth of relationship versus broad. Broad reach is width. Broad reach is width, but shallow as hell. It's a shallow relationship, dude. But depth, yeah, it's narrow and you don't reach as many people. But the difference is those people who have this broad reach and everything like that, how hard in the paint is their audience going to really go for them when they've been consuming them 15 to 30 seconds at a time? That's not a relationship. If it is, it's a very casual relationship. If that's a relationship, it is the most casual relationship there is, my homie. They are not putting a ring on it. So there's, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just saying, this is like, okay, thank you. Bye. Like that's, that's what this is. If they stop posting, that person's just going to assume that, okay, well, they're gone. They're like, it's not going to be this gaping hole in somebody's life or their routine when they're watching someone 30 seconds at a time. Like when Casey Neistat stopped posting the daily vlogs, we all felt it. There's a difference. There's a difference. If some TikToker you've been watching stops uploading for a week, a month, a year, you're not going to feel it the same way as someone who was daily vlogging. You're not going to feel it the same way as if Marquez goes on vacation for a month. It's not going to be the same thing. There is some merit to that because I'm not on TikTok a lot, but I've had to create multiple accounts on TikTok because they are terrible at account recovery. Yes. Um, oh my God. And in my recent TikTok watching, there are creators that I watched back in the past with my older account that have come up as I've been watching with my new account, but I completely forgot about them. I'm like, wow, oh, I remember the creator. And so just how I've been experiencing TikTok and creators that do short form, then creating to your argument, like the bond, like the, the, the ability to connect with short form creators is just not the same. Like you said, if Marquette goes on vacation, I will know it. I, I feel that. Oh, if, yeah. If I just think takes a, a week or a month to off, I will know. Well, no. Yeah. But these TikTokers, I forgot they were there. Nope. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. So-and-so still making content. Oh, they're still around? Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's like, you're right. Whenever Prosser takes off from front page tech, all of tech YouTube feels it. Yeah. Whenever he has to take time, everybody feels it. You know? When Joe Mo takes off, when Jonathan Morrison takes off, people know. You know, when a new device comes out and Gerald Undone doesn't do a teardown of it, we're like, we know. When Zach from Jerry Rig Everything doesn't sit there and doesn't cut open a device, like, we'd be, we'd know. We'd like, wait, why, why is there not this device cut open and splayed out all over the table right now? Like, what? <laughs> this device came out. Why is it not being taken apart right now? So we have a different 
bond because of the depth of the relationship, because we're watching these people not only with high frequency or even the fact that maybe they upload once a week or something like that, but it's the fact that we're investing large quantities of time in a single session with a single creator. When you're sitting there and that same five or 10 minutes is occupied by 20 people, it doesn't mean as much. So if I were to binge watch a TikToker content, you're telling me that even if I were to binge watch a single TikToker, it wouldn't still not hit the same if watching Justino Marquez and somebody like that for a long period of time. In theory, no. But here's the thing, even with that, because the thing is, you're not going to be able to retain or remember any of those individual TikToks if you do that. If you watch 10 TikToks that are a minute apiece, instead of one video that's 10 minutes, you will not be able to remember the details of those individual TikToks. Yeah, I believe that. You will be able to remember the details of that one individual video. That's just how the brain works. That is fascinating. It's crazy that we are having a conversation and that short form creators are are suffering through this. Well, I shouldn't say suffering, but Mm. this is the reality of their existence right now. Mm. But like you said, this is how our brains are wired. This is how we work. Yeah, you can't overcome actual like wiring and brain chemistry and neuroscience. There's a reason that hundreds of thousands of people were watching our friend Emily D. Baker during the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. It's all psychology. It's all psychology. It's all uh, neuroscience. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. It's the same reason that Joe Rogan is uh, so famous. Podcasting, long form, the fact they would sit there and you'd be invested and engrossed in three hour long conversations. He, so he has like these longer than average podcast, even among podcasts. And it matters. And the depth there, the loyalty of an audience that watches like Nimmin live every Saturday is a different, even if they're a smaller group, it's a more loyal tribe. This has been baked into a ritual where they are giving more market share in one day than any other creator is siphoning out of them in a month. Think about it. Anyone who watches Nimmin Live for three to four hours on a Saturday morning and does that every Saturday morning for a month, just one of those Saturdays is more time devoted to a single creator than any creator competing for their attention gets with all their content added up over the entire month. Nick beats them in one day. In one day, Saturday morning. I used to wake up just to be able to watch his live stream on Saturday morning. Exactly. That's a different relationship. There's a different relationship to a creator being a ritual, which is why creators who either post daily content, daily vlog, or go Monday through Friday, like a Philip DeFranco or something like that, or have schedules or have streams like H3, when something becomes a ritual, it's a different depth of relationship than when it's a casual snack, when it's like, a oh, in passing, when you have a drive-by relationship with a creator, they can go or come, you can take them or leave them. When somebody is part of your weekly or daily ritual, that's a different animal. That's a different game. Did you really call TikTok as a casual snack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's junk food. It's junk food. It rots your brain like it rots your teeth. It's like, oh my God. I very, I very much am dunking on TikTok. I'm dunking on TikTok. I think they've single handedly destroyed the internet culture. There, I said it. <laughs> oh, wow. So. If a TikToker or a short form creator wants to create a stronger bond with their community, is the answer for them to create different longer form pieces of content or how do they go about getting around that? I would tell them the live stream. It's not like TikTok doesn't have native live streaming. Yeah, I think they should do the two extremes. The extreme of I have this broad appeal 
and this broad width. So I have the attention of the opportunity, which means the percentage of people that funnel into my on-platform live content will then be very valuable because now they are giving the option to have the depth with me. So a broad audience can now have this option and then they can get to know me deeper. And I am not obligated in the live to give the same antics or energy per se as I am in those drive-bys because now this live is another curiosity play in itself. And it's like, it's live, anything could happen. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's how I think of it. And so I think that it's the two extremes. I think the two extremes are because live offers exclusivity as well. Because yeah, you can watch the replays of stuff like that. But if you get to be there, oh, wow, you got to be there and you are part of that moment. And so there's an exclusivity to that. There's a curiosity to that. There's a higher level value proposition. There's another dopamine play there that is not the same if it's just a recorded piece of content. There's not that extra juice out of it. So with these short forms, you have, you know, you have this extreme and there's like a very low commitment. But then with the live stream, there's a reason for a commitment because it's exclusive. And if you you were either there, or you weren't. True story. And like you said, I, I've said it many times before about how live streaming allows you a unique opportunity to create a lasting, strong bond with your community. I would uh, have all creators like at least live stream one time if you never tried it. I know most creators are live streaming now, but even if you don't normally live stream, I would say at least try it once because the bond that you build with your community from live streaming, there's nothing like it doing any other type of content. Mm-hmm. My most valuable player in a lot of cases, the live streaming and the live streams on my podcast, the live streams on my deep dives on Sundays, our live streams together and everything like that. I just have to remember to hit you up with a reasonable time and request. But like they've been some of the most valuable pieces of content I've made bond with the community. It's led to the most one on one coaching. It's helped with the book. It's massive how powerful the live string is. And again, we saw it with LawTube. We saw it with Emily D. Baker, our good friend. We've seen it with so many people, how live stream builds a different relationship with the audience. Effective live streaming also demonstrates a higher level of ability as a content creator because you don't have the option of the edit. Yeah, if it can't happen in live streams, it will happen in live streams. And like Roberto said, there's no preparation, no editing. So if you can live stream and get good at it, uh, you will reach a different tier of content creator for sure. It's a different level of authenticity too. So that means that whatever your performance was in the edit and this and that, they get to see you and the personality in the live and everything like that because it's very difficult and near possible to fake your personality doing that. And so that means you have a real bond and they're with the real view and then that's how you build the ride or die loyal you know, fan base and everything. That's how you build the tribe up. So any content creators in short form, I would say that in-platform live streaming is probably the best option to the extreme in the other direction of super, super short, super, super long. Absolutely. So about this book, Create Mm. Something Awesome, how creators are profiting off of their passions in the creator economy. That is the title of the book. It is now available on e-readers, and I know the physical copy will be out in a week or so, you said. Yes. What drove you to write the book? I've always had a book in me. I've had a book in me. I've been trying to write a book probably since high school. I self-published this book, but I had been approached during the pandemic by a publisher that wanted me to write a YouTube help book. And I entertained the idea. I even worked up a draft. But the thing is, 
I just didn't have it in me to write a YouTube help book. I do now, but the book that was in my soul was, I don't really, I'm like, does the world need another YouTube help book? There's so many good ones. It's like, and I've made so much YouTube help content. Would I just be repeating myself? I'm like, what I really want to talk about is I want to talk about the creator economy. And I want to talk about being a creative entrepreneur. And I want to talk about how creators make their money. I want to talk about the creator mindset. I want to talk about the ups and downs of being a creator and building an audience and building in public. And I want to talk about how creators are building full-time incomes in real businesses because everyone says they want to be a creator now. You have all these young people. They say that's the career they want. They want to be a creator influencer. You have people in their middle years, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, who want to leave their day job and pursue something they're passionate about. The creator economy lends itself to that opportunity. But there's not really a good book to tell you how to do that, explain why it's possible. There's not a reference book where you can point somebody in the regular world and say, you know, there's not a way you can read this go, okay, I know how to articulate and explain what my career is. Or hey, there's a book that justifies my career. There's these books on how to grow a YouTube channel, but there's not really a book that explains what it is to be a content creator, what that career is, what the struggles are, what the expectations are, how to navigate it properly and how to make it an everlasting career. But you could find that if you wanted to be a graphic designer. You could find that if you want to be a writer. You can find that if you want to be a musician. You can find that if you want to be a dancer. You can find that in traditional and even artistic careers. You can find that, but there's not that for content creators. There's not a book that defends the position of wanting to be a career content creator. And I wanted a book to defend that position and to advocate for that position and to give creators a way to articulate, here is how people like me earn a living. Here is what it is like to do this day in and day out. And here is how people become successful and go full time and how promising it is. How long did it take you to write the book? The first draft was about roughly 100 days. I wrote this in the last 100 days of 2021. It got me through the last bouts of my depression in the pandemic to start that process. So I, I did that for 100 days. That was the first draft. Then I submitted some advanced uh, reader kind of chapters and copies to friends like Benji Travis and Pat Flynn and our friends Romina and Audrey and several other people and got feedback. Then I added five more chapters to it. And so I spent basically the first 100 days of uh, 2022 refining it into my second and then third draft. Then I I gave that draft to um, River Chow, our good friend. I paid her to be my editor for this project. And then uh, she got me back about roughly 33 changes to be made. There were about four chapters that were a little thin. So then I wrapped that up and then I got uh, through the final copy of that and uh, finalized the proofing myself. I did the proofing myself. So I also did a lot of edit editing work as well and then uh, submitted it to Amazon. My designer for the internals has my files for the paperback version. And uh, then it published on August 22nd, became a bestseller in the podcast category. And as they say, the rest is history. And now we'll see what happens from here. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's competitors tool. Checking in on what your competition is doing can be a great way to keep up with trends in your area of expertise. If you have vidIQ installed, you can find this tool on the left-hand sidebar within the YouTube studio and from there, you can begin adding channels as your competitors. I like to select a range of channels, from the ones that I find to be the leading voices in my niche, all the way down to channels that get similar views to my own. The way that this helps me personally is that I can start to actually detect patterns in the types of videos that my competitors are releasing, which helps me discover some fresh ideas that are already proven to be working. 
The vidIQ extension works in both Chrome and Firefox browsers, and you can download it for free at vidIQ.com. So I am about 30% of the way through this book so far, and I am loving it. I almost feel like I'm talking to you directly as I'm reading the book, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. It has to read the way that I speak. It yeah. has to be a book that will work for people who aren't in my audience and get them accustomed to my personality and the way that I think and speak and talk. But my audience needs to feel like if I read this out loud, that they'd be rocking with Roberto. Well done. And part of it is that it is so easy to follow along with everything that you're talking about. Like, you don't just talk about the creator economy. You go into the minutia of what it is, what consists of the creator economy. You talk about affiliate marketing. You talk about brand deals. You talk about creating content, all those different things. So it is so easy for somebody who's not even a creator yet, somebody even thinking about getting on this journey, I can recommend them your book. Because it is so easy for them to follow along. Every creator can start their career with this book. That was why I wanted to write it. I would love for you to get two ritual YouTube secrets, YouTube formula, vlog like a boss. I would love for you to get these YouTube help books. But the thing is, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the only book that you can use to start your career, regardless of what platform you want to choose or start with God help you. You could decide to be a TikToker and you could read this book. You could be a podcaster and you could read this book. You could decide that you want to be a musician and stream on Spotify and you could read this book. You could decide that you're going to be a LinkedIn creator and you could read this book. You will understand how creators make their money. You will understand the seven streams of income of content creators. You will understand the creator experience. You will know how to deal with haters. You will know how to deal with criticism and negative feedback. You will learn how to confront imposter syndrome head on. And you'll hear stories that let you know you're not alone and that even big creators have failed. And I felt like this is the book that if you are going to say, I want to be a YouTuber when I grow up, or I want to be a content creator, you know what? I'm thinking that I've been doing this YouTube hobby. I'm thinking of quitting my day job. How does that work? You can pick up this book at any part of your creator journey, and it would be helpful in some way, shape, or form. I designed it with that in mind. It was fully intentional on my part. So when people pick up your book and they read through it and they get to the end, what is it that you hope that they gain from reading your book? It's a great question. There's a couple of things. If you're a beginner, I hope that what it gave you was the courage and confidence to start and to give it a real try and to know what giving it a real try is. And that giving it a real try is not making 10 videos and throwing your hands up. So that's like where I I hope a beginner really takes from it is that it's like, I feel like I can do this. And also that a beginner has a way to explain what they do to people in their life who don't understand. So that's what I feel a beginner gets from this book. If you're someone who's been creating, but you feel stuck, first of all, I hope that what you get out of is that you feel seen. And then next after that, I feel like you will have some things that you now realize you can work on and how to pivot because there's a whole chapter about that and that you could do differently and that you could think about your content differently and think about serving an audience instead of only expressing yourself and creating for yourself and hoping for a chance then that people give you a chance, it's like you'll realize that you have the opportunity to earn people's attention by understanding what they care about and then saying, I'll put myself in a position to enjoy creating that and that I can somehow bridge the gap between things I, I enjoy and things that they will give attention to. So I hope that somebody who feels stuck 
who has been creating, who's gotten started already, gets that out of the book. And then as for someone who is a creator and is full time, I hope they realize that there's more opportunity to this. And I hope what they learn is that there are things you can do that could give you a much longer career if you understand where you're going and you're more thoughtful and more intentional. And that also you need to look at how to make this career sustainable for yourself and realize that overworking, overwhelm and burnout are a real thing, but that you can still be productive and effective and thoughtful about your career. And that also you need to be disciplined have emotional control and protect your reputation and that you need to make sure that you're doing the right things. And so my hope is that this book serves creators regardless of what level they're at. And I built it with the idea that they could get those exact things out of it. And I mean, I don't know that there's a way to read this book and not think of or be inspired of ways to make more money. (laughs) Yeah. I love how you thought about every level of creator as you were writing the book, because obviously you are an established creator. You have half a million subscribers on YouTube. You have the, your your coaching academy and you are doing all the things. You're a public speaker, but you still found a way in the book to hit every level of creator. Because it's funny because we always joke when I'm on your live stream that some people might not find you relatable because you are a quote unquote bigger creator. And that's why sometimes you like to have me on there because I'm a quote unquote smaller creator. But in this particular book, I think you hit everybody. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in your creator journey. You can definitely get something out of this book. So I would highly recommend you guys go out there and pick it up and give it a read. Uh, You will not be sorry for sure. Absolutely. I'm already working on a sequel to this book. There's a book that I'll write in between it that's not part of this series because now I can write a YouTube help book if I want to. And I figured out that I could write tactical books you know, tactical tutorial style books for different things. Cause I know there's a book I want about write about YouTube, but I know there's also a book I want to write about podcasting. I know there's a book I want to write about live streaming. And so I feel like I can write tactical books as well, but I want this series of books to be narrative books about the creator economy. So I feel that I can write specific subject books and then I can write these narrative books about the creator economy. And so for the next one, my real thought is to focus on breaking down and revealing the secrets of full-time content creators. And so that's what the focus of the second book in this particular series is. Mostly the it'll revolve around things like the uh, seven streams of income of full-time content creators, as well as the seven habits that I've noticed that all full-time content creators tend to share. Uh, seven uh, myths about full-time content creators, and also, I think, seven truths and facts backed by data that people do not know about full-time content creators, because I think this is a great book and a step in the right direction. But then I think there needs to be a book that explains to people fully, exclusively what a full-time content creator is, and explain even to full-time content creators what the realities they're going to face are, what some mistakes they could avoid are, and also that they should be expanding their horizons in terms of their income streams. And I also think it'll be great to put a lot of data about how the creator economy has been going over the last couple of years. And there's a lot of data that I've been collecting, case studies, things from Oxford, things from Statistia, things from YouTube's uh, white paper on the creator economy. So as many more of these companies actually talk about the creator economy and the financial impact, it serves this next book that I'm writing to be able to paint a picture of the fact that here is how the full-time current creators are really doing it. Here's what you don't know when you're watching someone with half a million, a million subscribers, 100,000 subscribers, even somebody with 50,000 subscribers. Here's what you don't know about how they make their money, what the breakdown is of that. Here's what you don't know or what you assume is true. Here's what you assume. Here's what you don't. Here's the truth. Here's the data that backs all of this up. And like this starts to make it feel 
more reasonable and factual instead of like this fantasy or this weird thing that only a handful of people get to do. Definitely. You've already beat me to my my next question. I was going to ask you what their sequel. So I guess my my follow up question would be any idea when we can expect the second book in the series to drop? <laughs> Probably 2024, because having wrote this book over the course of and then over nine months, I realized that I could have used another three months for this to uh, marinate, you know, before giving birth to it. It's like it's like I might need to sit in there for 12 months instead of nine. So I feel like this next book, I want to give it a good 12, 14, 18 months of work and a bit more lead time in the marketing and things of that nature. But I feel like this was a good first outing. Like I said, I might drop another book in between this because the thing is, it's actually easier for me to write a YouTube help book, much easier. And I had an outline for one before this because a publishing company approached me back then. But also since the creator, this book that I wrote about the creator economy did call out the end of gatekeepers. I felt it was important to self-publish it anyway. And self-publishing gave me a lot of ways to help other creators who would not have the option of a publisher approaching them and to be able to help them through the process. And I can talk more about, you know, writing your first book, getting it published, everything you need to do. Now that I've been through the process from beginning to end, and I realize uh, what I did well, what I could have done better, mistakes, you know, uh, ups and downs with that. So now I feel confident to help somebody else along the way with that if they wanted it. So that's the option that's available to most people is to self-publish. And I feel like for me, it didn't make sense to talk about the end of gatekeepers and then use one. Definitely. Always good to practice what you preach. I say that a lot around here. So add it with up. <laughs> so there are a couple of quotes in the book that I definitely want to touch on. One of them I talked to you about this morning, so I'll, I'll get to that later. But the other quote that jumped out of me is, anyone that doesn't invest in their dream can't be surprised by the lack of return. And it hit me so hard because me and you have talked about a lot how people, they're on the internet, they're hating on more successful people, they're trying to be negative, they're trying to be toxic. And me, me and you both have said that if you just take that energy and put it towards your own efforts and your own situation, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have time to be sitting on the internet hating on people. So talk to us a little bit about the origin of how you feel about this particular quote, because like I said, it just, it just hit so hard for me. It's just logical, man. It's like no deposit, no return, my friend. No deposit, no return. Everything is a choice. We talk about this, but everything's a choice. So every time you decide to watch a drama video for 20 minutes and get fixated on a creator, it's 20 minutes that you weren't spending doing something else. That 20 minutes could have been 20 minutes of better uh, rest, relaxation, mental health. Could have been 20 minutes that you spent to cook a better meal, get healthy. Could have been 20 minutes of working out. Or it could have been 20 minutes of you writing what might have been the greatest song of the year. It's 20 minutes you could have made a video of your own about your thing that you care about. But instead, you gave someone or something else this energy and decided to be as unproductive as possible. And then how many times in a day are you going to do that? Especially when you're hating on someone and everyone you're hating on, you decide was more worthy of attention than somebody in your life you could have been building up. You know what? That energy that you spend when you want to cancel somebody or get on a trending on Twitter and everything like that, there are some people in your phone book, in your life that are hurting, that would have loved to hear from you and got an encouraging word today. And that's a choice you made. That's a choice you made. And there probably is some karma for that by itself. There's probably karma for itself by that. There's also karma that you don't care enough about yourself to take that energy for yourself. You don't love yourself enough to give that same energy that you're giving to be angry at somebody else on the internet that has nothing to do with you, that impacts you in no way, shape, or form. Why would you not lovingly give yourself that same 15, 20 minutes of energy to make your own life better? That seems really messed up. 
That's something you need to address. That sounds like a call for help, call for therapy. But there's plenty of people in your life that would love an encouraging word right now, probably even younger siblings, if not kids, younger cousins that could really use a little bit extra attention that they might not be getting right now and a little bit more encouraging for how messed up some things in the world are. And you're deciding to spend that energy attacking and hating on somebody you've never met under some misguided idea of either self-righteous indignation, some broken moral compass, or to have the arrogance to think that what you say is going to be the thing that makes some radical change in their life when you're in a sea of 10,000 people screaming at them. It's ridiculous. It is. So this lines directly with the other quote that I talked to you about this morning when you said that being above average is a choice. So yeah. I'm going to take this back to a question that we get a lot with vidIQ about gear and what you need to start doing YouTube. And yep. people are like, do they need the latest camera or PT tablets to start a channel? And I'm like, no, I started a channel with my iPad Pro. Yeah. And you always tell the story about how Mr. B got to 100,000 with just an iPhone. Yeah, a broken iPhone. A broken iPhone. But that is a choice. I chose to start my journey with what I had at the time, which was an iPad. Mr. B chose to start his journey with a broken iPhone. We did not let the lack of high-end gear stop us from beginning the creator journey. We made that choice. Keyword yep. being choice, like you just alluded to. It's all about choice. I have, a, I have a saying of my own. The difference between success and failure literally is choice. What yeah. choice will you make to be better? Will you choose to do the things that you got to do to be a better person, a better creator, understand the platform better? Or will you make the choice to do nothing except your current situation, be content, and have life pass you by? It's all a choice. Yeah. And the thing is, if you are insecure about that gear, okay, you got a choice. You could watch a movie on Netflix today, or you could hustle, get out there, do some freelance work or do some gig work and then make a little bit of money. And then in a month, you got the money for that camera. You got the money for that lens. You got the money for that microphone. And by the way, I have everything prioritized the microphone, please. Like, let's go out and get the uh, Sennheiser MKE 600. You'll thank me later. It's like $300. Yeah, it's expensive. But then if that's the shotgun mic you're using, you're just never going to have to worry about the audio, even with these hardwood floors. So you can do that. You want to do a podcast and you're like, oh, but the audio, the microphone, everything like that. It's like, go out there, mow some lawns, do some DoorDash, get on Fiverr, do something, save up the 400 bones, and then have the Shure SM7B, and then just never worry about the audio ever again and have that sweet, sweet Viper quality, Joe Rogan quality, <laughs> audio, and then just don't think about it anymore because that's a choice too. But what a lot of people will do is they'll dream and fantasize and say, I want to be a creator. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then instead of investing in that, they find $50 here or there. That's a fifth of their equipment or a 10th of their equipment. They find the $50 to go out and go to a movie and say, well, I'm treating myself. It's like you are treating yourself for 90 minutes and not giving that to treating yourself well and having the career of your dreams for the next couple of years. You're delaying that, that journey by making that choice to not buy the tools of your trade and invest in your craft. When you buy that Xbox, instead of buying another piece of material for your creator setup, you're delaying the gap that you wanted to close between you and the creators you respect and admire that you feel insecure that your content doesn't stand up next to theirs. Well, you're not investing. That's a choice. And I know people say, but uh, that's all spending that on this thing and that thing and productivity. And what about my mental health? It's like watching a movie is not good for your mental health. Playing Xbox is not good for your mental health. If you really wanted to relax, what you would be doing is you'd be sleeping so that your eyes are not being overstimulated. Your brain is not being overstimulated by this very addictively. But TikTok, Xbox, 
Netflix, it's all designed to siphon your attention and to be addictive and to hyper uh, stimulate your brain and to release dopamine. That's not you relaxing. It's the opposite of relaxing. Just because your body is standing still doesn't mean that you're not overtaxing your brain. So it's not relaxing and that's not you, you know, winding down. It's not. That's why so many people are suffering from insomnia. And so if you take that energy and you use it productively instead, there's a lot of other things that come from that. That could be reading a physical book, which is not going to reduce your attention span and actually is going to help expand your creativity. Reading books expands your creativity. Being able to take that time and journal and organize your thoughts and get them out of your head, that would be a really good use of your relaxation and your time. And those things cost less money than a video game or a subscription or a movie and so on and so forth. And it's also someone not monetizing you. What happens is people work all day at a job and they're being monetized physically all day. And then they come home and they plug into these screens. And then these corporations are monetizing their brain and their eyeballs all day. And what productive energy is left for themselves? Nothing. That's why they don't get what they want out of their, their lives. And that's really sad. But creators who create more than they consume get to transition out of that. So now they're taking their time and they're not letting the corporations monetize it by siphoning all of it for the Netflix and the video games and the so on and so forth. And what they're doing is now they're creating and now they can monetize their own time and monetize their own productive energy. And then if they do it well, they get to leave that nine to five job. And then the nine to five job isn't monetizing anymore. And so now they get to harness all of their productive energy for themselves. And now they can distribute it for a lot more things because they're getting all the value back out of their time. And see, that's the paradigm shift that I'm trying to get to people too, is that yes, you're going to have to do a season of hustle, but the thing is it gets you out of a lifetime of hardship because if you don't do it, it's just going to be other people monetizing you and your time one way or another for the rest of your life. And you're not going to get the full value. It's so interesting to hear you talk about it like that because I kind of equate it to a person going to a regular nine to five job. When you go to that nine to five job, you are working on someone else's vision, someone else's dream. You are making money for somebody else. Like like Roberto just said, they are monetizing your productivity to make money for their business. How about you take that energy and that time that you were dedicating to that person in their company and take that time and build it for yourself? Match that energy. And I'm not telling you to go home and work your tail off after busting it all day at work. I'm saying maybe you go home and you harness that time for yourself with genuine relaxation and body uh, building and health building activities by going home and spending time with humans, going home and cooking a meal in, instead of the fast food so that you could eat that and watch Netflix or while you play a video game or whatever, not play the video game, journal instead, write out your ideas, research your ideas for your content, think about that, storyboard out your content, learn a little bit more about your camera or your audio or something like that so that you can then harness the productivity for yourself on one of your day offs and the other one, the other, the other day off can be a full day of rest, a full day of relaxation, a full day of entertainment. Why not give at least one full day out of your two days off a week to straight up productivity for eight or 12 hours it can be breaks in between, but you can sleep eight hours and then there's 16 more in the day. You can give a whole other day, you can pick Saturday or Sunday or whatever your day off is. You can give that to yourself. You can give that to your family and do no work whatsoever. But why not at least if you're going to work for somebody else for 40 hours during the week and or more and give them all that productivity, why not give yourself back a little bit of productivity at the end of each day? And that productivity doesn't have to be straight hustle. It could be 
building your brain or building your body instead of stimulating it by consuming. So like avoiding the consumerism trap and avoid things that then cost money and then do things that put you in a position to make more money later. And then you monetize a full day. Why not give yourself eight, 10, 12 hours? You gave them 40, give yourself that at least one day. And then yeah, take Saturday or Sunday, take that full day of rest, full day of relaxation, have fun, do whatever makes you happy. No problem. I'm like, why not? And then if you do that long enough, you don't have to give up the five days anymore. If you do it, you don't have to give up the five days anymore. You can get to a point to where you can do what you want. Yeah. And I am a direct beneficiary of what we're talking about on this podcast. For five years, actually six years, I worked at a nine to five from 2015 to 2021. I worked at a nine to five job. I was doing IT support. On the very first day of that job, I asked my manager about my career path. And given the situation that I was in, he told me Shut up, that, Viper, you don't have a career path because of the situation that we're in. You are working at another company's headquarters for this company, so you can't really have a career path. So when he told me that, I made the decision right there that I need to do something that is going to get me out of this job because I don't want to stay in the same spot forever. So three years into that job, I started making YouTube video with the goal of one day doing enough to get me out of that job and maybe doing my own thing on YouTube. It didn't quite work out that way, but I still did enough to get me out of that. What's that? Close enough. <laughs> yeah, close enough. It didn't get me to exactly where I wanted to go, but I still did enough to get me out of that nine to five job and into a more desirable, better job, which is what I'm doing right now, talking to you all on the microphone. So my life is a lot better than what it was when I was working at nine to five because now I have more freedom and leeway to live my life. I have an amazing job. I make more money. And all of that happened because I made the decision to set up an avenue for myself to be able to transition out of that job that was a dead end. But none of that happens had I not put in the work to get there. Had you not put in the work, had you not given up your nights and weekends, yeah. had you literally not given up your nights and weekends, a little bit of socializing, all these other things. And what you got in return was you got, now you have time freedom, some level of financial freedom and extra money. You also got more autonomy and you got creative freedom because your job doesn't interfere with you having a personal brand, doesn't interfere with you being able to be ambitious and plot out further and more things for yourself, doesn't limit the number of income streams you can build. There's very little restraint and restriction on you. And yet you also still have stability and security. I would argue, Viper, you have a better situation than most full-time content creators because you get to work as a creator within a company, which is what I also believe is the future. I believe every company should be doing what vidIQ is doing and having in-house creators and influencers that work hand-in-hand with the brand and create internal content, educate, entertain, and encourage the user base of the company, whatever that is, that's the future. And that's the future. It's another sub-part of the creator economy, and I talk about it. And- You get the Babbitt both ways, my friend. You get a personal brand. You get to represent a company that you love. You get to work with people that you like. You get to do it remotely. You get to do a lot of it on your own terms. You still have opportunities for travel. It doesn't interfere with that. And you also have a lot of financial support. And they also support your own personal brand and career. And they don't hinder it. Most people who are full-time creators, they don't have the security that you have, and they also have to constantly be on a treadmill in some cases to be able to continue to grow and to make their money and do that. For you, you can create on your own terms because of the stability that you have, and you don't have the crunch around creating, and you can actually have more freedom to make what you would like. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Roberto Blake, it is always a pleasure to talk to you, my man. Thank you for making the time today. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me.
as I said throughout the podcast, you all should definitely go check out his book. I'll have links to it in the show notes and links to get to all his content and everything that he does. It will all be in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Roberto, for being here. And I will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by Vid. IQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.